Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. Hey, turn with me to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. I'm going to pick up where we left off last week and continue on to John chapter 10. I talked a little bit about John chapter 10 last week, and um, we're going we're gonna to dive into it head first this week. In John chapter 9, we read about a man who was born blind, but had an encounter with Jesus where he got healed. That's good news. When you're born blind, and then you encounter Jesus, and he opens your eyes and, gets he- and you get healed, how many would agree that's a good thing, right? No negative to come from that. The problem was this former blind man had been living in a toxic religious culture. And in this toxic religious culture, there was no framework for that kind of healing. And only for one reason, because Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was a day that you weren't supposed to do any work. Now, I don't know that I would count healing as work. But in their religious framework, the box that they had designed for God to fit in, this healing didn't fit within the box. So rather than change the box or fix the box, they decided to kick this man out of the temple, which didn't just mean he couldn't go to church. It meant he really couldn't associate with anybody else. And they treated him as they would a Gentile, which was somebody that they would not associate with at all. All because this man got healed. The funny thing about this story, the man doesn't even ask to get healed. Jesus just does it. And he sends him to this pool to get washed of the mud that he puts in his eyes, and his eyes get open. And the thing that we learn about this story, one, not everybody celebrates your healing. But also when your eyes get opened, sometimes it's easier for people stuck in a toxic religious culture to deny the healing than it is to change the way they think about how God works. And God has a funny way of doing some things that purposefully don't fit within our box. I actually like that he does that. I haven't always liked that he does that because sometimes I want God to show up when I need him to show up, how I need him to show up, and do what it is that I really want him to do. And sometimes he just goes, I'm going to do it this way. And I've got a choice change the way I think God works, or respond to what I see is obviously God. And this blind man, formerly blind man, says, I don't, I've never heard of a devil that opens up blind eyes. This man must be a prophet. He must be the Messiah. But sometimes those who create religious systems keep people in bondage because they find it easier to reject a miracle than to change. So we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 9, verse 35, What happens to this blind man? His eyes are open. He's kicked out of the temple. He's got nowhere to go. Certainly, he doesn't want to become blind again. And certainly, he can't deny that it's Jesus who did this. So he's stuck. I can't go back to the way things were. But I can't deny what's happened to me. What do I do? So here he is wandering around. And we're going to pick it up in verse 35 says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, when he found him, what does that mean? It means Jesus was looking for this man. 
When he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. You see, it wasn't enough just for this man's eyes to be opened. Jesus wanted him in the family. Because the fact that he had a miracle, man, he got kicked out of his, what he thought was his old family. And he needed to know that there is a family for those whose eyes have been opened and who have left toxic cultures, either the toxic culture of the world that tells you how you're supposed to behave, what you're supposed to believe, what you're supposed to wear, what you're supposed to be afraid of, or the toxic religious environment that tries to keep you in the same box that they've created for God. When you leave one, I promise you're not going to be alone. Jesus will find you. And so Jesus knows your opened eyes are great, but it's not enough. And he invites them into the family. Jesus had to show up for this man. He had to show up. Had he not shown up, he would have been a seeing orphan. And Jesus doesn't want us to be an orphan. He doesn't want us to be touched by him, receive our miracle, have our eyes opened up that we can see things as they really are so that you'll be out on your own for the rest of your life. He wants you in his family. It takes the open eyes first, but he will adopt you into his family if you'll take the next step and realize that he's been looking for you. So then Jesus goes on to say, picking up in verse 39, For judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And then he goes on. I think we're in chapter 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees. This is part of the same conversation. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but claims it by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. He's talking about this former blind man. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. It's a story about the good shepherd. In the early church, well, in church today, we don't have one here. But if you were to go to a foreign country or another city, and you were looking for a building that was a church, how would you know that that church, that building is probably a church? What kind of things would you look for? You'd look for a cross, right? Because we identify churches with the cross. We identify Christianity with a cross. That's kind of, we don't worship a cross, but when we do worship, there's usually a cross nearby. We just don't happen to have one here today. It's okay, don't freak out, all right? But the cross kind of became a symbol of Christianity, but it wasn't so in the early church, probably because they understood what a cross actually was. 
And probably the modern day equivalent for that would have been like either take the 1700s French, the French, if they were putting a guillotine in their worship services going, oh, that's a reminder of who we are. Or for us as Americans, what if we just put a big electric chair right here? Because that's what it was. The cross was a symbol of death. It was a symbol of, of punishment and execution. So it wasn't necessarily the symbol that they used in the early church. If you go to find the artifacts from the first century church, do you know what they used instead of a cross? It was the picture of a shepherd. The shepherd was the identifying characteristic of the cross. Not only a shepherd, but often when you find the carvings that they would use in their houses of worship, the shepherd usually was carrying a sheep on his shoulders. Sometimes they would use a fish. Sometimes they would use a vine. But the most predominant uh, symbol that they used in worship was that of a shepherd usually carrying a sheep. Isn't that interesting? And it's based upon John chapter 10. When Jesus is telling them, I am the good shepherd. Now, as Jesus is telling the Pharisees this, and all of the other Jews would have been in earshot of what he's saying, and we have it recorded in the Bible for our benefit as well, but the audience that he was talking to would have been familiar with a particular psalm that dealt with a shepherd. It's Psalm 23. Anybody go to Bible school as a little kid and have to memorize the 23rd psalm? I did have a trophy to prove it. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now there's a difference between John 10 and Psalm 23. And it's probably the reason why Jesus had pursued this healed man. I don't want to call him the blind man anymore because he's not blind. Why would you call him the blind man if he's been healed? We're going to call him the healed man. He pursues him. Because although John chapter 10 talks about the good shepherd, and the Old Testament is full of moments where God himself refers to himself as a shepherd. And we read about the good shepherd in chapter 10. But as David wrote in Psalm 23, Jesus knew that this healed man needed to make the good shepherd his shepherd. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. Just just because he's the good shepherd doesn't mean that he's your shepherd. And he had to make the crossover to be part of the family by making the good shepherd his shepherd. And so I want to talk to you a little bit of what it's like, this life with the good shepherd. When When this man decided to worship Jesus and join his family, be adopted into the family of God, He now began to discover what life with the good shepherd is really like. I don't know why, but sometimes we think we've got it good because we don't have a shepherd. I'm just, I I can figure stuff out on my own. I'm resourceful. I, I got this. Anybody have that mentality? That's probably my weakness is when I'm like, I got this. And usually it's right before I fall on my face doing something else. Dropping into the half pipe. 
as a 49-year-old man when my son decides to take me skating. I'm like, I did this when I was 16. I got this. 20 minutes later, the call from the hospital to my wife, I don't have this. I don't know why we think we don't need a shepherd. But life with the good shepherd is good. Something interesting about the way shepherds led in this culture, because it was a, a, a pastoral culture where the people raised sheep. They were familiar with what he was talking about. That's why he used the illustration. Maybe we're less so now. I know a lot of y'all got chickens, but I'm not talking about chickens right now. We're going to talk about sheep. The way the shepherd leads is often you have all these sheep going in different directions. So they didn't have leashes, but they would need to know where to go, and they'd need to know how to follow the shepherd. So what the shepherd would often do is he would sing, like the singing shepherd. He would just sing this song. Maybe he was worshiping to God. Maybe he was just singing a common tune for the day. But the shepherd always had this song. Sometimes they had like a little flute that they would play if they didn't have a good voice. And sometimes the flute carries, but they would sing a song. And when they sung the song, the sheep would know, oh, that's my shepherd. That's my jam. That's my song. And they would know that when the song begins to sing, it's time to gather around the shepherd because it's probably time to go to wherever we're going next. And so the shepherd leads gently over the flock with his song. It would have been such a comforting way to know that the shepherd is near, is to hear that song. Psalm 23 speaks of these green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The shepherd knows where the good food is. He leads you to the place where there's food. Now, in the Holy Land, there is rain from like November to about February, and it's super green. But for the rest of the year, I don't know if you've seen pictures of Israel and Jordan and Lebanon and places like that. It's not a whole lot of green grass, but for a time period, there is. Well, when there's green grass everywhere, anybody can find green grass. The trick is finding it in July. The shepherd knows where you can get the food that you need. He is your provider, and He takes you to the place where there is food. You don't have to forage for yourself. He will supply all of your needs according to His riches and His glory because He's the good shepherd. He doesn't hoard it for Himself. He wants the sheep to live and thrive. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. It's an interesting thing about sheep. If they have a moving stream, it, it doesn't even have to be fast, but if the water is moving, no matter how clean and delicious it looks or how thirsty they are, they won't drink from moving water. Maybe it's a psychological thing because when you're covered full of wool, if you were to fall into that stream, you'd be so heavy, you'd sink to the bottom and be swept away from any help. Maybe it's because they can't see the bottom when they look into the water, and so they're not sure how deep it is. But either way, they won't move. They won't drink from a moving stream. So you know what the shepherd does? The shepherd takes a little shovel or something, and he digs out a little trench from that moving river to create a little pocket of still water. It's still connected to the river, but it's made in a way that the sheep will be able to drink from it without fear of being swept away. And that shepherd cuts it out. It's still connected to the river. You see, if, if that shepherd built a dam and cut it off, then that water would become stagnant, would become murky. 
and eventually it would dry up because the sheep would drink it or it would evaporate. But because it's still connected to the river, although it's not the raging river, it creates fresh water that's getting recycled, but it's still enough that the sheep can drink. It's a picture of the church. Jesus has carved out a little piece of that river so that we can have a place because sometimes people aren't quite ready to dive headfirst into the river, which is the kingdom of God. It's the flowing of the Holy Spirit. I get it. Sometimes you come to church and people stand up and prophesy and you're like, I don't know that I'm ready for that yet. You see people speaking in tongues. You, you sense something is happening. I'm not ready to dive headfirst into the water yet because I don't know where it's going to take me. You'll get there eventually. And so God just takes the church and he cars out this little side stream to make the water safe enough for you to drink without fear. Eventually you'll make it to the river, but the church is still connected to the river. The problem happens is when the church builds up a dam and goes, I don't need the river, I've got my own source of water. But they don't realize that the source was the river, not your little pocket. And it isolates themselves from the river. And then they get everybody else to come, but the water is getting drier and filthier and murkier because it's not getting refreshed. And now instead of a place of safe water, you've created another toxic environment. Not because you didn't want to let the sheep drink, but it's because you cut yourself off from the river. But the shepherd cuts it out, and he leads me beside still waters. Psalm 23 says, He restores my soul. Do you know this comes from a Hebrew word called shub? And another way to translate, He restores my soul, it could have gone either way. It means both. This might sound a little different. I want my soul restored. Anybody want their soul restored? I want the fresh river water coming in that also restores my soul. God, here I am. Restore my soul. Fill me up. But that word shub, by restoring my soul, means he causes me to repent. I didn't sign up for the repentance side. I wanted the refreshing. Yeah, yeah, I'll cause you to repent. Because the repentance is where the freshness comes. When he puts his finger on something in your heart and you surrender that thing, then he replaces it with his spirit and you're refreshed. No repentance. No refreshing. Big repentance, big refreshing. We had our Friday night house church, and uh, sometimes we come in there and we've got no agenda. We're like, let's just going to see what God does. And so we decided to start praying for people to get filled with the Holy Spirit, and several people in that house got filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time. Some speaking in tongues. One girl got three words of knowledge at the same time for three different things, and three different people said, that's me and stood up to get prayed for. I don't know if that was her first time being filled, but I know it's probably the first time she had a word of knowledge. And we're like, yes, that's awesome. And most of them got healed. I I think we're still waiting on one. Um, But I think that's pretty amazing. But something else happened that night. A couple of people started repenting. Basically just what Ellen did. They started saying, "I, I feel like I've got to confess this thing that I've been doing. And they started repenting. Nobody asked them to repent. Nobody came up and said, you need to repent. They just felt compelled because when the presence of God was so strong, he caused them to repent. Shub. And as they did, 
He restored their soul. Oh, he's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He's good. But sometimes even with the good shepherd, sheep still get lost. Isaiah 61, verse 1. It's a prophecy about the Messiah, about Jesus. And it says, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Sometimes sheep get lost, and I think they get lost for two reasons. Let's bring it back to the actual sheep. Sometimes the sheep get lost because the shepherd moved on, but they stayed. They started to hear the song. I'm not going to sing for you. They started to hear the song, and they thought, oh, I know that song. But the grass here is pretty good. And besides, no one else has moved yet either. And the song started to sing, and the shepherd began to move away. Most of the sheep went with him, but all the other sheep were still there eating, and he was eating, and he thought, well, if I'm eating and they're still eating, it must be good enough here. I guess it's okay to stay. Needless to say, he didn't realize all the other sheep were thinking the same thing. And so in their collective thinking that the other person knows what they're doing, so I'll follow them, they were all about to be in a very dangerous spot because sheep don't think so great for themselves. They're meant to follow. They're meant to follow the voice of the shepherd. They're meant to hear the song and stay with where the song is. But instead, they just begin to stay. Then that song starts to become a little more faint as the shepherd becomes more distant. The smart sheep comes to his senses and goes, oh no, I better go find that shepherd and runs off. But some don't. Some don't realize how faint the voice of the shepherd has been getting. And pretty soon they can't hear it anymore. And where that grass was suddenly so green and so beautiful, now it's starting to become a little dark. And it's hard to see the grass. And it's getting a little cold. And that sheep suddenly realizes, I probably need to care less about what these other sheep think than I do about following the voice of the shepherd. But for some of them, it's too late. And they realize, I can't even see the grass now. It's getting cold And I don't know the way home. And so that little sheep has to scurry away, scared to death, and find a little bush or a rock to hide under, and it just sits there and cries out in fear all night. It's crying out for the shepherd. But it's a cry of desperation. But the shepherd's gone. He's moved on. But that sheep is not only not doesn't know where to go, but he's paralyzed in fear and can't even walk. And now the only one to hear the desperate cries of the sheep is the wolf. Because he's been waiting for that cry. He's been chilling out all day long. When the shepherd was there, he doesn't dare go near those sheep. But now that it's night, he's listening for the cries of the sheep that did not follow the voice of the shepherd. And now this little sheep is in big, big trouble. And the more he cries out, the more danger there becomes. But he can't help but cry out because he's alone. The shepherd has to show up for that sheep. He is powerless to help himself. No one else is coming to his aid. The shepherd has to show up for the sheep. So the shepherd comes back to the sheep pen. And they have like a little rod that he holds out. 
And as the sheep go under the rod, he's counting 96, 97, 98, 99. Hang on a second. There were supposed to be 100. I only counted 99. So he closes the gate. He gets a friend to look after the sheep that are in the pen. They're safe. And he strikes out in the darkness to go find the sheep that didn't follow his voice. Jesus is looking for sheep that don't follow. That's the heart of the good shepherd. He went looking for the man that was kicked out of the temple. He goes looking and he hears the same cries. But when he gets to the sheep, hopefully before the wolf does, the sheep is so scared, he can't walk. He can't just tap and go, come on, get up, let's go. You should have followed my voice. The only way for that sheep to get back because he's so petrified in fear is for him to pick him up, put him on his shoulders, and carry him back into the pen. That's the picture that the church had. Was Jesus carrying the sheep that didn't follow the voice of the shepherd? Because it's not too late. He'll come looking for you. But don't be the sheep that always has to have him coming looking for you. Follow the voice of the shepherd. The shepherd has to show up for that sheep. It's another way that sheep get lost. Sometimes they just get taken. Somebody comes and steals the sheep. That's the captive. That's the difference between the prisoner and the captive from Isaiah 61. A prisoner is in their position because of something they did. They're suffering the consequences of their own decisions. But a captive gets taken against their will through no fault of their own. The shepherd's got to come for both of them, and he will. He will. He will leave the 99 for the one. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, The Son of, the man, the Son of man came to seek and save the lost. So whether you're a captive, whether you're a prisoner, whether you just didn't follow the voice of the shepherd and got lost, or whether something took you captive, if you got captivated by the world, if things happened to you, abuse happened to you, wrong teaching happened to you, you had all the best intention but realized, I'm in a religious, toxic culture environment and I can't find my way out, the shepherd will find you. The shepherd has to find the sheep. This happened back in the 1920s. In the 1920s, Palestine was ruled by the, Brit- the British. And what they would do when they were ruling during the 20s and 30s is sometimes they would have towns that would stir up a little bit of trouble. So they had a simple solution. They would go gather all of the sheep and the goats from the town and come take them into their own pen. And that kept them quiet. It was a means of control over, the, over Palestine in that era. Because they knew that without the goats, without the sheep, they had no milk, they had no meat. They were completely dependent on the British for their very sustenance. They took those sheep captive. But there was a story that they used to share of this little shepherd boy. He had five sheep that were taken. His family only had five sheep, but they needed those sheep to live. And so the shepherd boy walks up to this place where the British are keeping all these thousands and thousands of sheep. And he shows up to the guard. Guard turns around. What do you want? You have five sheep in this pen. They're my sheep, and I've come to bring them home. Guards, get out of here, boy. They're my sheep now. Go home. 
you have five sheep. They belong to me. I've come to bring them home. Did you not hear what I told you? Maybe if your parents and your friends would stop causing so much trouble. Maybe if you would just behave and belong and do what you're told, you wouldn't have had your sheep taken. Why don't you go back and tell them to comply? You have five sheep. They belong to me. I've come to bring them home. Suddenly this guard begins to realize that maybe intimidation isn't working with this kid. So he changes tactics. He tries to reason with the boy. Look here, boy. Even if I were to give you back your sheep, and I'm not, but even if I were to give you back your sheep, come on, let's be logical about this. There's thousands of sheep. Did you tattoo them? Do they have a special haircut? How would you ever be able to figure out which sheep are yours? My name is Enego Montoya. You you killed my father. Prepare to die. No, I'm kidding. kidding. (laughs) Starting to sound like that, isn't it? You have five sheep. They belong to me. I've come to bring them home. Kid, look. I told you. I don't know which ones are yours. What is it exactly you want me to do? That's easy. Open the gate. The guard swings the gate open. You'd think there'd be a massive stampede. But all the sheep are just staying there. They don't want to leave each other. I'm in captivity, but at least I'm with some other sheep. I don't know what's out there. I'm captive, but I have a false sense of security where I am. Because the sheep are just listening to each other. They're living in fear. But at least the fear is familiar. At least my fear is with somebody else who's afraid too. And when we come together, we'll just be afraid together. And then that little shepherd boy, with the guard looking down at him with that I told you so look, just begins to sing the same song that he's sung all of his life in the pastures by the stream he just begins to sing the guard's looking at him like he's crazy because he doesn't have a great voice and it's not super loud it's kind of a gentle little voice and all the all the noise and all the sheep looking down going where's the grass where's the grass But as soon as this boy starts singing, five little sheep heads poke up. I know that song. Could it be? And in their head, I remember that song. You ever have a song that takes you back to a place? And they're thinking, I remember the stream that got cut out. Do you remember how good the water was? Do you remember how green the grass was? I remember that song. Do you remember the oil oil that used to anoint our heads when it was covered with bug bites? Where is that sound coming from? And the shepherd boy just begins to sing. 
And those sheep are going, get out of my way. Make way. I'm getting out of here. And the other sheep are going, what are you talking about? Can't you hear the voice? Can't you hear the song? I don't know that song. I've never heard that song before in my life. And the sheep go, I know what that song is. That's my shepherd. He's come for me. I was sunk. The shepherd had to show up for me. And he's here. And I'm not staying here. You can stay if you want. I'm leaving. And these little sheep begin to make their way through the crowd probably getting jostled, probably getting the who does he think he is from all the other sheep. But he hears the song, and they, all these five sheep emerge to the bewilderment of this guard. And he looks at the boy and goes, I guess you have your sheep. And he closes the gate, puts the lock on it. And all the other sheep just stare and think, I wish my shepherd would do that for me. Jesus says that my sheep will know my voice. And there's an invitation for all of us to make him our shepherd. Can I tell you that the gate is open? It's open. And if you'll hear the voice, if you'll hear the song being sung over you, you have a place to go. You have a place to come to. And He is singing it over you. When we're sitting in worship at times, I thank God, I don't want to get to a place where I think I'm not feeling it in worship. This song isn't doing it for me. And I have to repent of that. Lord, I'm sorry. It's not about the song. It's not about the tune. It's not about whether I like drums or like guitar or like hymns or like anything else. God, I love you. You're my shepherd. I'm going to pour my heart out to you. And as I begin to worship, I'm like, what's that song? And I'm not hearing the guitars. I'm not hearing the keys. I'm not hearing you. I'm hearing the love song over me. I'm hearing the song of my shepherd saying, You are my son who I love and whom I am well pleased. You are my son who I love and who I am well pleased. Then I hear the call again, Come, follow me. Come, all you who are weary, all you who are downtrodden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And there's an invitation for us to follow him. I pray that you would hear the voice of your shepherd. Whatever it is that's keeping you in bondage. Ellen shared something that was keeping her in bondage. And she realized, I don't belong in here with all this bondage. And she heard the voice of her shepherd and she followed. And she's free. And we're meant to live free. Pray with me. Jesus, I thank you that you are the good shepherd. I thank you, Lord, that you sing over us a song that heals, a song that when we hear it, reminds us of the oil that anoints us, that you have provided us with good food. You have provided us with your word. 
you have carved out a place for us called the church where we can drink from the stream. Thank you, Lord, that you refresh us as you cause us to repent. Make us new from the inside. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for heads to pop up right now all over this city that would pop up out of their toxic environment and hear your voice. And they would begin to move through the crowd to find you because you showed up. The shepherd has to show up for the sheep. And you do every single time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.